friends, welcome to the Sunday Sermon segment of We Need God. Please listen as Father Carrozza offers his homily for today, which was recorded live in St. Anne's Parish. One of the primal instincts of every living being is survival. People or animals, certainly we know, will do anything to survive. And we see in the animal world how many different defense mechanisms that animals have to defend themselves. Because if they don't have something to defend themselves against a predator, they become food. And as human beings, we are no different. We have a strong desire for self-preservation. And that's good. Of course, we need that. That is a gift from God to help us to defend our lives and to remain alive until such time should come as God calls us home to him. But we are very different from the animals in one very important thing. When an animal's life on this earth is over, it is over, it ends. But you and I, being made in the image and likeness of God, we have immortal souls. So our life does not end when our life on this earth is over, but rather we enter into a far greater life, our souls enter the glory of God's kingdom where we await the resurrection on the last day when Jesus will return in glory and all justice will be done and all uh, evil doing will be punished and all goodness will be rewarded and will live body and soul in the new creation in a perfected body, in a perfected soul, in a perfected world for all of eternity. And that is a unique gift that God has given only to us and not to any of the animals. And of course, that means you and I as human beings have or, have or need to have a completely different way of looking at the world. Jesus tells us that today in the Gospel reading when he says, Fear no one, and do not fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill the body and the soul. So we should not worry about the one who might be able to kill us, but somebody who could destroy our soul. That we should, we should fear. Because let's face it, if somebody does kill us here and now on this earth, well, they're only speeding up what's going to happen eventually. Eventually, all of us are going to die. Yes, we'd like to die naturally after the, a ripe old age where people can say, well, he or she lived a full course of years. Now it's time to go home to the Lord. But sometimes maybe we will die suddenly, maybe even at the hands of somebody else. But we need not fear that person especially if by dying they will give us or secure us eternal life. Rather, we should fear living in a state where our eternal life is compromised. That by following that lifestyle or believing that belief or rejecting something that we must believe, we will end up maybe saving our lives in this life but losing eternal life. That we should fear. And sadly today, how many people are there who have lost track of eternal life, of the call to salvation, of the call to heaven that you and I received the day of our baptism, and instead live only trying to preserve their life in this world, which is not bad in itself, but not when it's at the expense of eternal life. Then given the choice between the two, we should be willing even to sacrifice our life on this earth if it means securing our life in heaven. And that, my friends, is a game changer because it shows us right away that as Christians, we need to live completely differently from pagans and people who have no understanding of eternal life, of the promise and the hope that Christ has given to all of us by his death and resurrection. 
And so we should look not to self-preservation in this life, but self-preservation in eternal life as the ultimate goal. And just as many animals have all sorts of devices, as I mentioned, some lizards, for example, if they are attacked by a predator, can snap off their tail and run away and save their life and then eventually regrow their tail. Well, we should be willing to give up anything in this life, even our life itself, as long as we can preserve eternal life. And that even helps us understand a group of people that sometimes we don't always understand, and that is the martyrs people who have given their life for Christ. Outside of the promise of eternal life, it's pointless. And a martyr would look like a fool to people who don't understand the call to eternal life, the call to heaven that Christ has for all of us. But with that understanding, the sacrifices of martyrs make a great sense. And sometimes a martyr maybe had a choice that they could have denied Christ and lived, but if they, you know, if they remained faithful to him, they died. But that's not always true of all the martyrs. And sometimes some of the martyrs had no choice otherwise. They were just manipulated by other people. One particular example of that is the saint whose statue we have right here in our church and whose feast is actually celebrated today, San Silverio, the, the statue of the Pope that we have in the corner in the back here. Our San Silverio Society was here this afternoon and we celebrated the Mass of the Feast of San Silverio. That's why we have the beautiful red carnations which they bring every year uh, for his feast. And tomorrow I'll go up to their shrine in Dover Plains and celebrate another Mass with them. And in ordinary years we would have a procession of San Silverio throughout the streets and then a wonderful party afterwards with magnificent food. And why would we celebrate San Silverio when really there was nothing he could have done in his life? To give you a little bit of the story of San Silverio, the year was 536, and the, situ the situation or the place was the city of Rome. Uh, Rome had long fallen in 476 AD. The Roman Empire had fallen. It was continuing as the Byzantine Empire in Constantinople. And the Goths were invading Italy. They had the city of Rome under siege. And there were fears inside that the Goths were going to break down the city and conquer it. And in the city was a... Uh, a Byzantine general, Belisarius, who was keeping peace there and with the army that he had, keeping the Goths out. And of course, the most influential person in the city of Rome at that point was the Pope. And the Pope, St. Agapetus, had died. And back in those days, they didn't have conclave like we do today. Now, when a pope dies or retires and we need to select a new pope, we have a very strict system where all the cardinals get together in the Sistine Chapel, they lock the doors, and from among their number, they choose the, the new pope. But in the early days, that was yet to be created. And things were very fluid as to how you went about selecting a new pope. Ultimately, it came to people nominating someone until the clergy of the city of Rome, the priests, accepted somebody. And there was a deacon there who was pretty sure he was going to be the next pope, a man by the name of Vigilius. And Vigilius had the support of the empress out in Constantinople, Theodora. And also at this time, a heresy was striking the church, plaguing the church, a heresy known as monophysitism, which concerned itself with the different relationship of the natures of Jesus, um, his human and divine nature. And of course, there was big controversy and a lot of fighting at this time. There had been councils called and people were being excommunicated and uh, bishops removed from their sees because they were members of the heresy of monophysitism. 
And Vigilius was leaning towards the Monophysite heresy that the Empress espoused. And she wanted to make sure that Vigilius became the Pope. And she used all of her wiling and all of her manipulation to try to get him elected Pope. And guess what? It didn't happen. To his own surprise, the clergy of Rome chose a subdeacon, uh, Silverio, to be the new Pope. And he was elected unanimously then. He was approved by the clergy of Rome and became the Pope in 536, the job he probably didn't expect and didn't even want. Well, Vigilius and the Empress were furious. There was no way they were going to accept anybody other than Vigilius as the Pope. So they decided they were going to work together to get rid of Silverio and make sure he did not continue as the Pope. And sadly, they were successful. First, um, they wrote fake letters in Silverius's name, claimed, wrote a letter and forged with his signature, claiming that he had said he was going to leave one of the gates of the city of Rome open so that the Goths could come in at night and sneak in the city. And it was certainly not true. Every historian today looks back and says, is without question, that letter was faked. There was no reason for Silverio to do that. So he was an early victim of what today we call fake news. They made up a letter and circulated it and won the support of lots of people, and they believed this fake letter that the Pope was against the people and was going to let the barbarians in. And the wife of the German, uh, of, excuse me, of the um, Byzantine general, uh, Belisarius, who was also a friend of the empress and a Monophysite heretic, used all of her influence over her husband to get Silverio removed. And she won out. And he had Silverio, the pope, called out into a public ceremony where he was mocked and ridiculed for being an enemy of the people and an enemy of the church and a friend of their enemies. And he was publicly stripped of all of his uh, papal regalia, everything he would have worn, stripped down to virtually nothing, clothed in a poor monk's habit, and sent off in exile into the eastern part of the empire. And then he used his influence to make sure Vigilius became the new pope, and the Roman clergy eventually accepted him. In exile in the east, there was a bishop there who heard the story of what had happened to Silverio, and he was convinced that the Pope had been wrong, that he had done nothing wrong. And so he had an audience with the Emperor Justinian, who knew nothing about this whole plot. And he convinced him as well that it was most likely that Silverio was the subject of an evil plot, that he was innocent of all the charges against him. So the Emperor immediately wrote out a decree and gave it to Silverio and a bunch of people to go with him to escort him back to Rome, and the decree read that he's to be given a fair trial, and if it is discovered that the letter was a fake, then he is to be restored to the papal dignity. Well, Vigilius was not going to take any of that. He was not going to let the Emperor intimidate him, and so when Silverio arrived in uh, Naples with his cohort, his entourage, uh, so, uh, Vigilius met him there with his people, and they arrested him, treated him mercilessly, and dragged him to an island off the coast, the island of Palmarola, where they treated him poorly, starved him to death, maybe even directly murdered him. And so he went down as a pope and martyr. And many years later, after uh, some sailors on the, uh, the sea who were caught, fishermen who were caught in a uh, storm, said they saw a vision of Silverio saying, come to, come to Ponza, and they sailed to the island of Ponza and were saved. From that point on, the people of Ponza embraced Silverio as their patron saint, 
and why he's so popular with fishermen, especially um, the islands of Ponza, are, they're largely fishermen and vine growers this day, which is why on the statue you see grapes and the lobster hanging there. Originally they had red grapes, but somebody pointed out, no, with lobster you would have white wine. So they went out and bought white grapes to put on it rather than the uh, red grapes, because you wouldn't have red wine with a lobster. But anyway, getting back to Silverio, I often wonder what was he thinking about and praying through all this? There was nothing he could have said in his own defense. If he tried to speak up, it would have fallen on deaf ears. He was the subject of a kangaroo court. Nobody cared about hearing, was he innocent? All they wanted to do, his enemies, was prove that he was guilty. And so he, would have been in a very, he was in a very sorry state. And in his prayer, without the Lord, he might have felt very much just like Jeremiah in our first reading where people were plotting against him. And yet I'm sure he found great comfort in knowing Jesus was falsely accused. His trial was a kangaroo court. It was a farce. They weren't looking to find out if Jesus was innocent or not. They were just looking for the evidence to have him crucified, which they found. Uh, Jesus, of course, provided it himself because that was his will. But Silverio, nothing he said in his own defense would have helped him. I'm sure he prayed and saying, well, Lord, even if I must die for you now, I know ultimately you will give me justice. And justice indeed was done. Certainly, Silverio is a saint in heaven now. How many statues are there of Pope Vigilius in the world? Probably zero. He's buried somewhere in Rome. I doubt very much if many people go to his grave and pray there. Ironically, Vigilio, once he became pope, turned on the empress and defended the true faith and did not defend monophysitism, which is certainly a sign of the Lord that even when somebody who was sympathetic to a heresy uh, advanced to the see of St. Peter, that the Holy Spirit provided or, or defended the church so that the heresy was not taught. But this new pope now embraced the truth, and he too was recalled by the empress and treated very shabbily, and he died en route to a trial that was being held for him. But Vigilius is a footnote in history, and San Silverio is an honored saint. And he's honored not only in Ponza, but here in New York, where there are many um, Ponzesi who have come here from Italy. And you know, in norm normal years, when we don't have the pandemic, they would have had the big celebration, the procession, and all the food and the big partying. And he is honored to this very day. And that should strengthen us to remember, live for heaven, not for this earth. Sometimes you might feel like you are a victim of everybody else's conniving, that other people are scheming to get what they want to have done, and they don't care who they destroy, they don't care who they step on, as long as they can get their way, and nothing you say is going to make any difference. And if you ever feel like that, think of the martyrs. Think of San Silverio. Think of other people like Joan of Arc, who was in the same situation, and many other martyrs who were martyred only because they remained faithful to the Lord and say, well, Lord, I might suffer here and now, but I know you will give me victory. And do not be afraid of the people who will say harmful, terrible things about you. Worry only about the ones who could give good evidence before the Lord on the day of judgment that you were not faithful to him, because that would lead us to being condemned and turned away from the Lord. Do not fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill the soul. Fear the one who can deprive us of our eternal life in heaven. Trust in the Lord Jesus and live for heaven, not for the glories of this earth. For the glories of this earth, people who run after it so often come to disaster. But those who glory in the Lord 
always come to salvation in his kingdom, as did the great martyr we honor today, San Silverio. May Jesus Christ be praised, now and forever. Thank you for listening to this week's homily by Father Carrozza. If you enjoyed this homily, please pass the word on to your friends and invite them to listen. For more materials from Father Carrozza, please visit www.fathercarrozza.com.